<laughs> Welcome to the Simple Minds Podcast, where we look to empower and encourage real conversation amongst men everywhere by unpacking topics on self-help, philosophy, and business. Just before we get started, guys, today's topic is a big one, and we talk a little bit about depression and, and mental health. If you need or feeling an immediate need that you need some help or assistance, please do something right now. Uh, you can call someone like Beyond Blue, and I'm sure there's others. Uh, I think their number is 1300 uh, Reach out to them or someone else. Just let someone know that you're struggling, and um, I'm sure someone will offer some help from there. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Conrad Francis here. Welcome to another episode of the Simple Minds Podcast. I'm joined in the studio with... Travis Hado. Hey, hey. Justin Bourne. Sup? And I'm loathe to introducing this bloke because he's <laughs> seriously been wasting my time. Magic Matt Hannum. Uh, hi, Conrad. It's really nice to uh, finally be on air with you. Nice to, nice to be here, I think, Matt. Today, today we're drinking Four Pines Brewing Company's Indian Summer Ale. Um, I love leaving my office. I've got a ton of wine there and I forget it every time, so I swing past the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode costs us more money than what it ever does. <laughs> what, four, four beers is the most you spent. I bought fucking six of them. <laughs> Cheers. 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 And I'm not sure I'm going to like this, but I'll drink it anyway. Indian summer ale. Oh, it'd, be nice it, it'd be nice if it was cold. What do you mean? <laughs> Sorry, well, the can's cold. <laughs> not anyway. Sure, not sure about the middle. It's not too bad. I've never had it before. It's at uh, it's very uh, where's, where's IPA. Four, where's Four Pines? Isn't it local? Uh, New South Wales. Yeah. <laughs> local to Australia. <laughs> local to Australia. <laughs> oh, it's only five, four and a half thousand k's away. It's fine. That's all right. Um, I think I've spent a lot of time there this year, so I can call it local. <laughs> yeah. Gentlemen. Crisp and light. Yeah. Ticks boxes. In bitterness with aromas of passion fruit and honeydew. I can actually taste the passion fruit, and I didn't even know that was in there. Oh, you didn't say that before. I didn't read the can either. <laughs> I didn't know that either. <laughs> All right. Okay. On to serious matters. The topic for today. It's a kind of quasi book review that was um, thrown at us by um, a mutual friend in a fauna. Fauna? fauna? I don't know, you're looking at me. I don't, you, Trav, you gave us the freaking <laughs> note. I don't, a, I don't know how to say it last name. You know, g'day, buddy. Anyway, you know who you are. Thanks for and the- if you don't, <laughs> go look at your driver's license. <laughs> Thanks for the topic. Um, the book's called Lost Connections, Uncovering the Real Causes of Depression and, un, and the Unexpected Solutions. We're not going to proclaim to be the experts in depression here. That's what we're not going to do. Um, but what we're going to, I mean, by reading the book and, and the summaries around the place, um, it does present some interesting uh, alternatives um, to, the, to the traditional means of medicinal treatment of, of, um, of depression. Um, the question was posed to me prior to coming in to this podcast, had I experienced depression? Uh, I would say that I probably have uh, experienced depression. Um, I did take into my own in my own hands, I went and saw um, an expert on one occasion. Um, it was interesting, and I think he cured me of my depression. But um, no, not really. Um, I think we all bounce around depression without necessarily being it being di or diagnosed, um, nor are we getting necessarily treated for it. 
Um, I, I think Matt Hannum, you said you've experienced it uh, in your in your past. I'm not sure about the other two gentlemen here. They're they're a bit younger, so they may not have hit that. I I personally haven't had any any um, dealings with it to to date. Um, well, here's here's the interesting data, right, on on, on this thing: depression and the anxiety uh, are now at epidemic levels. Why? Well, across the world, scientists have uncovered evidence for nine different causes. Some are in our biology, but most are in the way we are living today. Um, the book Lost Connections presents a radical new way of thinking about the crisis. It shows us um, once we understand the real causes, we can begin to turn to pioneering new solutions, ones that offer real hope. Um, some of the data, uh, evidence indicates men are far less likely to seek help for mental health conditions than women. Uh, than women. Uh, the 2007 National Survey of Mental Health and Wellbeing Study found that the previous year, only 27.5% of males uh, with a mental uh, disorder and recent, uh, and recent symptoms had access services for mental health problems compared to 40.7% of females. Um, one in eight Australian men will be uh, will experience depression in their lifetime. Twelve point two of Australian males aged between sixteen and eighty five have experienced an affective disorder uh, over their lifetime. Uh, that's equivalent to at least one point one five million males today. Um, and then the last part: uh, men are less likely than females to experience depression and/or anxiety. Twelve point two percent of Australian males between sixteen and eighty five have experienced an affective disorder in their lifetime, compared to seventeen point eight percent of females. 12.4, and that's probably down to a, report, a recording and reporting perspective, right, because men don't seek help. Um, but 20.4% of Australian males between 16 and 85 have experienced an anxiety disorder in their lifetime compared to 32% of females. So the numbers are, are, are there and they're climbing. Um, and I haven't touched on the suicide rates, which obviously are the extreme extension of anxiety and depression. The question posed by Inna, um, post-reading the book, I'm guessing, Trav, yep. uh, was – um, when people value money uh, and material objects, does it fulfill your life with joy or happiness or create depression and anxiety? Um, and it's an actual interesting scenario because I think there's one chapter of the book that actually talks about the externalization of extrinsic rewards as opposed to intrinsic rewards to, to help mitigate some of the issues around de depression. Gentlemen, can I just bring you, I mean, we can go through the front part of the book, but I mean, that was all about um, the big farmers and, and, the, and the Prozacs and the stuff they put on the table and the theory that some of that stuff clearly uh, creates dependency um, and potentially could have some sort of placebo effect. So can we, if we move past that, I want to get to the other do, seven. Do you want to give us a quick one minute synopsis of the book? Um, I thought I just did. Of the... No, that was the weather report. All right, well, give me a sec. I've got what a one minute synopsis. Hey, that, well, that was the stats of the data. Yeah, yeah. the weather report. All right, so the, the key message in, in the book was the pharmaceutical companies have been selling the public story that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. Research shows little evidence to support this claim. Uh, there are no, nine main causes for depression, ranging from trauma and loneliness to disconnecting from meaningful values in nature. Happily, uh, there are also seven ways that we can heal ourselves, including acknowledging our disconnections and rethinking our values. Actionable advice, uh, practice the sympathetic joy meditation, close your eyes and imagine something wonderful happening to you for like falling in love. Let that joy flow over you. Next, imagine that the joy happening to someone you care for and let that joy flow over them. It's it's a process. So the book takes you through the seven uh, the seven processes that help you to reconnect with the things that you're disconnected from that potentially cause aspects of depression. 
Um, so if we can go through those seven um, and talk through those as to how we experience them, because I think we all do experience them in some way, shape or form in our lives, um, which is probably why we have a healthier balance in our life these days between the four of us in this room. Um, and, you know, again, the, the conversation post this, and I welcome conversation from anybody listening to this with depression um, as to how other aspects, uh, how their, their life will be challenged by what we, what we put on the table today. Yeah? Yeah, fair enough, Trev? Yeah, I think that's great. Um, okay. So there are at least nine common causes for depression. <laughs> Thanks, Trev. <laughs> just imagine. I mean, just assistance here. Let, let, let's, let's, before, got the before we go on this, on I want to bring another voice to the table, and I hate to do this, but Matt Hannum, you hate to do it. <laughs> talk us through your your diagnosis, mate, and let's and let's then walk through the, some of these potential solutions and how this how these were present or not present in your situation. That is a that is a gigantic question. Um, well, answer as succinctly as you can. It's it's well, it's not that simple. Um, it's not that simple at all. So you were diagnosed at what age? Well, I guess largely self-diagnosed. Um, but you were taking medication. I briefly took some medication, uh, maybe maybe six months tops. Um, I was probably twenty six, twenty seven. Um, and to rewind, I guess the I was about a similar age when I when I self-diagnosed. Yeah, so so to rewind, I, I worked in a fairly stressful um, accounting firm environment for probably four or five years, and I I left to change jobs, which in a way was there was, there was nothing particularly wrong at the time, but I left to switch jobs, and I was looking for a different opportunity, something that I found a little bit more meaningful. Uh, I, I got, I got ill and I sort of it had, a, I had a cold. So I started this new job and I had a bit of a, a cold and it sort of progressed to, um, I haven't told this story for a long time. So, uh, it sort of progressed to, um, being like very much the flu and was almost six weeks, eight weeks. And I, I sort of took a couple of days off, which was went against everything in my, every fiber in my being about taking days off when you've just started a new job and things like that. But I had to take a few days off and I struggled through work and I, I just didn't, um, I didn't fully recover. Um, and I went from being, you know, a 26 year old, healthy, fit young man that was active and doing a lot of things to, to being able to barely drag myself to, to the desk at work in the morning. Um, and I, there, a lot of challenges came from that, but I, I guess it came from a, it came from a, a distrust or a, a lack of faith in I think my physical body, uh, and that progressed to some fairly significant anxiety, uh, or full blown anxiety disorder, to be fair. And uh, and I experienced patches of of what I consider to be mild, but what I consider to be depression over the next couple of years, because it, it, this was a this was two years worth of um, well, well, let saying me, I was unwell. Let me hold you there because it's actually very interesting. I mean, um, Harari does say that there's nine causes of depression, um, but there's seven ways to reconnect. Um, and one of the ways to reconnect, uh, the first main cause of depression is a disconnect from meaningful work. So therefore a reconnect 
to to work that's meaningful. So you said earlier on that, you know, you were between jobs and you're looking for something that's more meaningful. Well, I already had, I'd already made the move. So it was at, I think it was, if I was to analyze that piece of the equation, I think it was more the, the release or the, you know, the changing of circumstance or significant change in vocation that um, helped form part of, I think, the illness. But it just continued on, sort of continued on from there. I mean, I never really, I think I was put on antidepressants probably 12 months into that process at one point as, a, as something to try um, by a doctor. I found it very frustrating uh, at the time because I was trying to seek people to assist. I mean, I really had been diagnosed with chronic fatigue and a few other things sort of before it went to the point of saying, oh, no, you've got depression, even though I feel like it's all very much related um, or I felt like it was in my experience. Um, well, how's this for a stat? From 12, 2011 to 2012, only 13% of people described themselves as being engaged by their work. One of the most thorough studies to examine how our work affects our health was conducted by psychiatrist Michael Marmont in London in the 1970s. After studying 18,000 British civil servants, Marmont discovered it, was, it wasn't the bosses with big responsibilities who were more prone to heart attacks, but, those bosses, uh, but that those bosses were four times less likely than others to have a heart attack. To find out um, who experienced the most stress and depression, Beaumont looked at people with the same pay level, status, and even the same office workspace. The results were clear. Those with less control and authority to make their own decisions were more likely to be depressed. Pretty fucking damning. Oh, it's it's very damning. Um, yeah, look, I, sort of half a story there, I suppose, that I've, I've shared. But um, the, the point is that it's... Well, I felt at the time, and this was probably what twelve years ago. There was there was really difficult to find information and and find a, a way to sort of help myself at the time. I think it's probably a little clearer now. I don't, I don't think um, you were. You, so you weren't you weren't in any different spot than I was. I I, right. I, I was at a I was at the end of a relationship. I was changing businesses. I was yeah. There was there was lots of unheaval. There was a lot of disconnection in my life. Um, and you know you sit there and think, well, what the fuck are you living for? Um, you know, you're in that real dark space. Have you two got anything to add to that? Look at them, the two little children. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm similar to Hato. I, I've, um, I wouldn't say I've ever really um, experienced depression. I mean, there's been moments where I thought it was borderline, like maybe super mild, but it's very short lived. Um, and I've questioned like, is this what depression feels like? So, you know, it's really hard for me to, um, comment on that aspect of it. Cause I haven't lived it. I, I can definitely comment more on, I guess, because without trying to digress too much, the, this, one of the synopsis kind of put depression on one end of the scale and then being secure about yourself on the other. And I can definitely talk about my journey to becoming more secure, um, which is kind of that path to, to more self-acceptance and more self-love. Um, so while I've never experienced depression, definitely gone through, I guess, my own journey of getting to self-love and self-acceptance, which I think is on the other end of spectrum of feeling secure about yourself. And some of the seven things here I can definitely relate to is improving that um, well, over the, se the, the second last cause of is years. a disconnect from other people. Does it resonate with you, Matty? <laughs> you just cut him off. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yes and no. Um, 
I, <laughs> I had a, I felt like I was pretty disconnected. I, I, fe- I certainly felt like no one knew or understood. I mean, I was very fortunate. Like, so I wasn't, I wasn't married yet, but um, my you wife. You in a relationship or not? Yeah, my wife, Tash and I, we were, we were together, we were living together um, and it was quite a, um, it was quite a heavy burden and challenge for her to manage through a, for a two year period. Um, and I, I didn't feel disconnected from her, but I think because of that and I've, my disconnection with others, it meant she she carried quite a heavy burden in that and even in the conversation. And But I also carried a fairly heavy burden in that I just wouldn't um, and couldn't share what was – no, I'm, I'm talking even just about my, my physical state. Like my genuine physical state at, at the lowest point during that all, all, all mindset aside, even if I was feeling okay on a particular morning, I would, I would literally drive to work, half an hour drive to work, park, walk to, the, walk to my desk and have to sit there and pretty much recover for an hour, hour and a half before I could even really physically try and start doing tasks and more or less have to hide that in the process. Like that, was, that was the extent of my physical. I had to start walking laps of the oval across the road from, from my house like I'll just do one lap today with my dog and then I'll just do another lap and see if I can go a bit further tomorrow. I mean, that was the extent of where my physical condition was, um, all, all things aside. So, uh, and most, oh, most people I came across that I tried to share it with found a difficulty in understanding it and therefore connecting with it and didn't really want to necessarily feel or hear that I was in that level of pain and struggle. So it was often fairly superficial in the response. Not because they didn't care, but just because they didn't know how to manage. So I was like, you know, oh, just, just get on with it or have a, <laughs> have a cup of tea or, you know, whatever. These, you know, this, this might solve these things. So and then did that was, add to the, the, the frustration because there was like kind 100%. of no clear end outcome of what was actually going on? 100%. And I, I, I searched long and hard for information and like-minded people and ways that I could work myself um, into health. I, I, see, the reason why, and I, I'm not um, by any means educated here, but why I feel like I was mild um, in particular is that I never had contemplation of hurting myself or anything like that other than what I was clearly doing to myself to an extent um, with my physical condition. So I don't I, – I, I've never um, – I never had that um, or never got to that position. Even it was in, when I was in a really dark place, I always had hope and always had a direction. So, just, yeah. Um, so just, just to further talk about this, the second cause being a disconnect from other people, I've got a few mates of mine going through challenging relationship situations at the moment, some separations, and some of the conversations are around loneliness um, and how real that is. And I guess I take it for granted because I'm, I'm fairly busy with what I do these days, but I do – understand what that means. It's interesting because this chapter talks about uh, loneliness. It's got here. Um, loneliness can play a big role in feelings of stress and depression. Neuroscientist John Cachopo uh, showed how loneliness directly- Cachopo. Cachopo. I think it's how you say his name. It is now. Yep. Uh, how loneliness directly contributes to increased heart rates and high levels of stress-related hormone cortisol in his studies during the 1990s. Cachopo found the, that acute loneliness causes uh, as much stress as being punched by a stranger. Both has happened to me. <laughs> it's pretty, like I said, it's, it's pretty interesting when you look at some, what some of this research shows. Well, I mean, just on loneliness as well, something that 
kind of came to even what you were just sharing with Maz, like you can still have people around you, but you can still feel extremely lonely. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. And, and I like, you know, running business, I feel like there's moments of that where if you don't surround yourself with, with people, it, it can feel extremely but have, having lonely. Pe- having people around you versus serving other people, I think that's that's a very big key. I was very lucky, like I said, to have basketball around me a large part of my, my last 10 years and very – a distinct difference to me in my earlier life and I probably also felt equally somewhat depressed in my teenage years. I really didn't feel like I had much uh, to serve then. But, you know, in the, in, the, in the recent challenges in my life with relationships and the like in business, I've always felt like I've had something that I've been operating from a serving space with. Um, so I think that, that adds value to the network you have around you. Potentially. Look, I am... I, um I, I credit this period which, you know, uh, and this challenge that I've been in my life with my entire drive now. It, it is it is the uh, – it's to me the the suffering that I went through that, through that period was such at such a depth. And I, look, I, I'm not going to debate levels of suffering for people. For me, it was – It was, oh, everyone's, it, it's it was extreme everyone. for um, – and during different levels for roughly about two years until I went to the point that I said, you know what, I, I think I'm okay now. Like, so it was physical, it was it was mental, psychological. I guess all these things were, were challenging me, but it, I, I now credit it for being the single best thing that's ever happened to me, and it's probably the only reason that I have a drive. Well, you've got, to you've got more perspective from it at the moment. You, you're a few years off it, right? So well, you're looking I'm, back I'm at it. I'm over a decade off it. Now. So it's, so it's harder when you're you're in the eye of the storm, though. Took me. It probably took me three to five years of feeling better to start to really truly feel the complete level of gratitude for having been through it. Because I have a I have a level of awareness now that, and don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean I don't feel like even potentially mildly depressed or something like that at the time. I, I, you know, in the last decade, I'm not saying that I just had this period and then it just disappears because I think. Um, you, you've got we've got ways of doing things or disconnecting and connecting with things and finding a way to you know modify what's going on in our chemical states ourselves because um, it obviously is possible that we that we we can in you know we can influence these things medication can also influence but um, it's yeah as I said it, it it's it's taken me a, it took me at least a few years to get my head around it and then it's genuinely um, probably the core driver. Um, of, of why I do what I do and it's still even one of the core drivers that changes my, you know, a couple of degrees of orientation every time I feel like I'm slightly off course because my challenge then is, well, hang on, I want to be impacting and helping other people, you know, whilst helping myself that are going through similar things. Am I doing that? And that's a question that, that comes back to front of mind very quickly because, yeah, it, because it was a challenge and I and, – and I don't even necessarily – I can't think back and even fully um, experience where I was because I was in such a haze uh, of, you know, physical condition from what I'd done to myself that a lot of it's a blur. And I, as you say, JB, I would, I'd be in a room and – but I wasn't really in the room with everyone. Yeah, being present. Third cause of depression is a disconnect from meaningful values. Um and, and this is interesting, uh, all being business owners in the room here, um, all have done some level of work on vision, mission, values stuff. 
um, to, to add value to what it is you're doing, to articulate what it is you're doing to your to your staff, your sorry, your teams, your your clients, uh, yourself, uh, while you get up in the morning and do what you do. I mean, I know this business that I've got now that has had more direction in that space and values and, and the values are extension of who I am um, has done really, really well. Um, maybe it is coincidental or synchronistic, um, but how do you guys see values play out in your lives? I think it's a, a really strong one uh, to just put it into a business sense. If you don't have um, values to speak to and to align, orientate yourself with, then you do become a bit of a shambles as a business. And, you know, personally, you know, I can see that happening probably earlier on my years when I was 19, 20, 21. Um, I didn't really have my set values in place that I really wanted to live my life by. And um, the way I treated people and the way I treated myself was definitely, um, you know, look back on that. I don't, uh, don't regret that. However, uh, I see that as a big learning and that I can put down to a, a sort of not having my values set on how I want to want to be, treat other people, you know, and, and, you know, so that crosses over to sort of every element, you know, business life, who you are. So, Well, Inna in talks about, or Inna asked us the question about when people value money um, and uh, obje- objects, material objects, um, you know, the, this piece talks to, um, well, at the heart of the disconnect are two types of values, intrinsic and extrinsic. So if you play the piano for the delight it brings you, you're motivated by intrinsic value. If you play the piano for solely for the money, then you're intri- then you're motivated by extrinsic value. Um, so that's what we mean by intrinsic and extrinsic. Interestingly enough, psychologist Tim uh, Cass mm-hmm. conducted multiple studies showing how the more consumer-minded and extrinsic-valued people are, the more depressed they become. Meanwhile, those focused on intrinsic goals such as helping others or becoming better musicians for the sheer joy of it saw a significant boost in their mood. Well, this one's um, quite quite fascinating to me, particularly just with a few conversations recently. And um, I've got a friend who... Uh, friend. Friend. <laughs> who is probably experiencing forms of uh, anxiety and depression, even though everything from an outsider's point of view of his life is going really well because he's tying not necessarily money but... Um, uh, his his achievements to the opinions of others and it's all extrinsic. And so every time um, he achieves something, he's feeling f- extremely unfulfilled because he's using others to validate that achievement where, where it, so it's not intrinsic. And so, you know, it's really causing him a lot of mental uh, challenges uh, right now because everything is seeking external validation. Um, so it's not even just, it can be money. I think it can be like achievements um, as well. Cause it talks about here, what is the motivator um, as well? Like, you know, be aware of your motivations and keep questioning where, you know, you're spending your time and your money um, or, or, and or what you're going after. And so even with some of the work that we've been exposed to recently, one of the biggest things that showed up for me was understanding your motivator, why you're doing what you're doing. Um, because even in myself, the first two years of business, I just wanted to hit a million dollars revenue. And I share this story and I literally, um, I hit it 
And I just remember feeling completely like underwhelmed, unfulfilled, just like it probably was the closest thing I've had maybe to depression. Um, I felt really shit, tired, exhausted. Like what what was the point of all of this? Um, Because it was just that milestone. (laughs) Um, And it was, um, you know, is then now, and I've been flipping it to work on service. And you talk about service um, and the advice given, well, not advice, but suggestion was like flipping to what are your intrinsic values uh, or motivators to, to what you do. Well, he says here, the key to reconnecting, the key to reconnecting with meaningful values is to be aware of your motivations and keep questioning where you're spending your time and money. This will help you focus on what's truly meaningful to you. Tim Kasser, the, psych- the psychologist we were talking about earlier, has taken his own research to heart by finding a peaceful 10 acres of land in Western Illinois where his family can focus on gardening, activism, volunteer work, and the things that enrich their lives. So he clearly took some of his own medicine. The fourth cause of depression is a disconnect from childhood trauma. This is a, this is a pretty interesting one. Um, and it's, and it's, there's a lot of data in this chapter. Um, but I, I mean, suffice to say that what a child defines as trauma is actually very interesting compared to the older you get and the, the the different perspective you give yourself on some of this stuff too. So I'm not saying that childhood trauma isn't real. I'm just saying the distance you create from it and the opportunity you get to give yourself some perspective over it um, may give you or shed some light on top of it. I mean, and that's fair to say for some of the work we've all done in, in, in recent times. Anything to add to that, gentlemen? There's an example he talks about here in the 1980s where Dr. Vincent Folletti conducted a, a remarkable study on the obe- uh, on obesity that showed how a disconnect from our past traumas could lead to depression. Interestingly, Dr. Folletti didn't set out to make this connection. Instead, his study involved seeing if an extreme fasting diet could help a group of obese people to quickly and safely shed weight. At first, the results were impressive. One woman uh, named Susan went from 408 pounds down to 132 pounds. Uh, but Folletti was surprised when Susan and others quickly put the weight back on sensing there was something uh, something else going uh, something else uh, was going on. Vladdy began talking to the participants about their lives. He was shocked to discover that 55% of them had instances of sexual abuse in their past and that it was in immediately following these events that they began putting on weight. Susan started putting on weight after she'd been raped by her grandfather when she was 11. Um, but why put on weight? As some participants put it, overweight is overlooked. Uh, that is... Being larger made them feel protected from unwanted male attention. Uh, Folletti expanded his research to include 17,000 people in the San Diego area. The evidence was uh, evidence also showed that more traumatic your childhood, the more likely you were to be depressed. It, it, it does go on to say here um, towards the end, which is um, by acknowledging and talking about past trauma, people can reconnect with the, the troubling events in their lives and begin to, to move past them. Yeah. Um, so that's really fascinating. And what's I find that really fascinating due to some of the other work that we've done and through some of the other instances where you've got to acknowledge what has happened and what's going on before you can truly move past it. So that, that's, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, I think that's what I was, I was trying to touch on earlier is that you know, if you revisit it now, um, the perspective you get um, should be different, um, and it might be instrumental in unlocking the reasons of why you're not you're not feeling. Definitely at would your be best. easy though. No, I don't. I don't think any of this stuff's easy. Um, you know, none of the stuff's easy. You know, even even trying to figure out whether you're intrinsically extrinsically motivated. You know, is not easy. Um, 
but again, um, what's the what's the um, you know the, the the other side of not doing it or not putting in the work onto it is what settling for what big pharma give you and in creating a dependency on chemical adjustments to your brain. I don't know whether that's. I mean, it's clearly not working. I mean, that's clearly not working. So maybe some hard work is necessary. Um, and I think with the hard work you referenced, JB, it's probably hand in glove with the, the decline in resilience we've got going through society at the moment um, because it is probably decidedly too hard work um, to do some of this stuff. Yeah, are we, are we looking for the easy fix a lot of the time? Well, I, th- I think you're right. Like to, in, in my, to my understanding of it, and, you know, this is open for play, please comment on this if you have a, have a stronger um, connection with this, but to my understanding of it is that the, the medication serves, it was meant to serve as a bridge, and it's, it's meant to serve you in that that allows you then potentially some more time to work on some of these other factors which can can help you. Um, but I, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think people necessarily do that, so they don't do the work thereafter, so then they end up with an element of less effectiveness and or potentially the a placebo um, nature, which then can only really go one way, which means take more of it. Um, when, when it's not working, take more of it. Um, and you'll never really achieve it. I mean, I, I found out after that largely what I was taking and the dose I was taking was um, effectively at a placebo type level, but it was, um, so that's why I would consider what I did mild, but I, I'd already been working for a long time trying to find many different avenues and things that I could do to um, to sort of, I guess, reconnect with everything. I mean, I, I we did things like, I've got a dog, you know, as little as that sounds, it's a, it's a massive thing. There's always this, you know, this extra, another life in the, in the house and someone that needs um, you to be responsible for them and, um, you know, worked on many different health factors. And I, I went down an Eastern path as well. I started doing acupuncture, um, scrubbing, uh, many different forms and, and talked to a lot of different people about a lot of different, different philosophies and, some of that stuff we talk about here on this podcast, and that's where, um, that's where I guess it started for me. Because I was going to say, what what was the tipping point for you? There was there was no help. Um, I, you know, as I said, I got sick, and I got sick, and then I went to the, the doctors, and they said, no, it's just like a flu, and then it just didn't go, and then it didn't go, and I just maintained being sick. Two or three or four appointments for three to seven minutes with my GP. Um, got me nowhere, so I had to start looking in other directions, and that's that's what, what it was. What was the tipping point to uh, make yourself the journey to become secure again, to to secure yourself, or to you know happiness? Um, there was no tipping point. I never didn't want that, um, so to speak. Uh, unless I'm not hearing the question right. Um, Highly likely, but we'll persist. <laughs> well, <laughs> explain the no, interpretation no, no, of the question. No, there would be, I mean, there would be a tipping point. It's obviously whether it's magnitudinal or not. I mean, it's irrelevant. I mean, there'd be a reason why you chose to come out the other end. Well, I, I always, I, I always knew I would. That was my expectation. That was my hope, and I had faith. Um, at times, it was darker than that um, in in view, but I always still believed that I would. Um, move through the process. I mean, I don't think it's such a thing as cure or I think, I think it's moved through the process. But no, I, I very quickly started to look for, for for different things. I mean, I couldn't understand how 
no one around me, including I guess my my GP or multiple GPs, I, I'd never experienced them not having the answer before, if you know what I mean. Um, so I had to start looking for other things and it wasn't as prolific as it, I'm sure it was prolific to an extent and certainly in, in measuring back, but it wasn't as prolific as it is now. I mean, we weren't all talking about mindfulness and meditation and no, there wasn't car maps and it wasn't, this, this stuff wasn't. No, I, it's isolated, man. I had to go dig out and some random guy somewhere would give me a CD to, to, for a mindfulness. A CD? Activity. I had a cassette. No, yeah. oh, mate, well, I'm not 104. <laughs> What's that? Uh, but uh, no, but what? you know what I mean? Like that stuff wasn't, yeah, no, wasn't you're right. it wasn't available. Like, uh, or, or I saying. didn't know where to the, find it. The, the kids these days have got everything on their fucking phones, man. I'm, I'm absolutely it's, fucking seriously it's jealous. It's free on your phone. That, that was yeah, not the, the most fucking soft-minded. I had to go visit some kooky dude in like some random suburb somewhere and line up out the front of his house to like have an appointment what? for stuff. Was it, it wasn't Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Conrad. Hang on, but like, but true. Like, this is sort of stuff I I did because I was I was searching for for anything that could give me. You know, another percent, another right, percent well, better or closer. Let, or, let me tell you what you should have watched. All um, right, because one flow over the cuckoo's The nest. fifth cause of depression is a disconnect from status and respect, and the sixth, uh, and the sixth is also a disconnection, disconnection from nature. There's a great piece on here about observing baboons and bonobos, which I think you should be watching a David Attenborough documentary on Maddie Hannum. You might find some some answers there, but. This is would be why Travis Hado is not fucking depressed, mate. Because <laughs> he, he, he's a genuine tree. Yeah, he looks like a ranger, <laughs> <laughs> and he's a tree. Stays, people study baboons, bonobos, and orangutans, but um, more importantly, there's a there's a the part I want to talk about is a lady by the name of uh, Isabel Benchke uh, in her twenties. She studied that nature, the nature of human beings, and witnessed how bonobos in the wild cope with stress when they stop grooming and sit apart from each other. So he stopped grooming a long time ago, mate. Um, so yeah so when they stop grooming um, and sit apart from each other it's clear that they're depressed but when they're taken away from nature things get much worse they'll scratch their head till they bleed howl rock back and forth nature is so important to us studies show that people uh, in greener neighborhoods experience less stress and despair while immersion uh, in nature reduces obsessive thoughts and boosts concentration so you know, and again, you know, the way we live and the way we work, um, we're not setting ourselves up for no. a good crack at it, right? And those are the types of things that I did. And I know there isn't one well, or even three watch or five. bonobos. No, no. I, I, I went, don't even know what a bonobo is. I went to the beach every day <laughs> and I went and, um, you know, I started walking and then I started running again a little bit on the beach, like whatever it was. But I just did every little bit that I could every opportunity that I had the energy to do, I, I did something like that. Uh, you know, there's, there's many, there's many things, but all of it is just a reconnection with, yeah. I mean, a reconnection, right. I mean, that just in general, that word is reconnection with a lot of things. Um, I'm a firm believer in energy as you guys would probably know. And, um, obviously red bulls and stuff or <laughs> earth energy. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think that point has a lot of, um, uh, it's a very valid point because uh, you, the earth is all energy and that's where I get, I I feel that I get my energy from. So if I'm ever sapping of energy and need to reconnect or go back to myself, I first thing is go not hug a tree, but I, I go and, you know, make sure I take my um, shoes off. I can feel the grass. I can in amongst the trees. I think, 
you know, for me, it, it's a very powerful energetic um, exercise that I do. Um, yeah, and I understand like if someone uh, if someone lived in a um, basement of a skyscraper in New York. Oh, but I mean, even, even in just the skyscraper itself, mate. I mean, yeah. I mean, I said to someone the other day. Uh, when you go out to a balcony, like I, I don't mind apartment living, I can see it. I don't live in one, but I can see myself living in an apartment one day. However, what re- the caveat I got over that is I've got to be able to see the sky. Um, when you're looking at somebody else's fucking balcony uh, with their dirty washing on there, it does fuck all for you. Unless there's cute little G strings. Just joking. <laughs> 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 where, where does I'm one getting, take I'm that? De- I'm getting depressed. <laughs> <laughs> the seventh cause of depression is a disconnection from uh, a hopeful and secure future. Um, this is another interesting, uh, you know, and the, this book is amazing because the, the statistical research that's presented in each of these chapters is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not doing it any justice because we're not going through all of it. But there's a piece in this chapter which talks about, um, well, I'll just read it here. In 1973, um, the, where are we? The Manitoba town of Dauphin was uh, was home to an experiment that provided people with an auto- automatic wage, minimum wage, equal to $19,000 a year in today's money. It was cancelled in 1979 by a new conservative government that was displeased with the concept, though 1,800 boxes of data of, on this experiment still exist. The data shows that in just three years there were there was a nine cent drop in people seeking medical help for mood disorders. People who lived there at the time remember how the money acted as an insurance policy for for a farming town whose fate rested largely on canola crops. Once the automatic wage arrived, or wages arrived, inhabitants worried less about their children's futures and can use the money to access the education they otherwise wouldn't have been able to afford. In other words, the automatic minimum wage helped people reconnect with their sense of the future and meaningful work. Pretty, I mean, these, these studies are pretty damning. I mean, how well, the hell... What's, what's scary about the meaningful work piece is how, how much I think now... I work for a lot less than $19,000 a year, let's be honest. No, well, forget the money bit, but <laughs> I think the challenge that we have now is there's such a high bar for what's considered meaningful work. But is that the problem? Because, I mean, I think and, that comes I, down to the extrinsic or intrinsic motivating factors, Exactly. Right? So I think it is a problem because, you know, and we, we've heard about this, you know, like Coach Wooden sweeping floors or whatever. Like, you know, it, we, we, we see I think the current sort of – couple of generations or the, the bottom half of the workforce at this point in time is very, um, has very lofty, you know, Instagram like, like style goals and what good quality work is. And I think sometimes they don't necessarily have gratitude and see the, the value in, in any and all tasks and having that ability to flip it round on yourself and just be like, no, I'm going to do whatever I'm doing and enjoy that to the best of my, and I, I can move in another direction if I want, but I'm going to enjoy the, the work and make it meaningful. Um, and I think that is that is one of the biggest challenges we've got because how is this going to do or be anything other than get worse? Well, um, well I, get, I, hear, mate, I, I, I know people that are janitors or people that you know, clean out rubbish for a living that love what they freaking well do. You know, so it, it is, and, and we'll probably talk about it in future episodes or in, well, I think we've always talked it in past episodes. You know, it's how you see the problems of the world or the issues in the world. You know, if you change the way you look at something, what you look at changes. Who are you quoting? Dave Clare. 
<laughs> I think it was Errol. <laughs> it's, not, it's not Errol either. <laughs> no, it's, no, not, it's Errol. not Errol either. But Errol did did say it, um, gentlemen. I'm just mindful of time. I want to get through these last few episodes, these last few pieces, because they're really important. I, I think just before you go on that, and similarly again, um, I think we've shared on this as well. But what you just shared through that experiment. You know, when you've got your finances under control, the the, the mental um, kind of, you know, freedom that you feel and the anxiety that you don't feel uh, is um, paramount. And I think, you know, like when you're stressed about where you're going to pay that next bill or this or that, and a lot of people overextend themselves for external yep. motivators, I think that's one of the biggest things a lot of people could... Uh, Take a long, hard look at. Yeah, well, Conrad, you must see a lot of that within your finance. I see, I see a ton of it, mate. Yeah, one hundred percent. Surely that would be a big contributor to a, quite a few people. For sure. And um, like, and sorry to cut you off, but like, no, that's to, all right. To, I did a JB, so yeah, no. But to add, <laughs> to add to that, before you answer, like this whole notion of credit cards and the way we operate with plastic and extra levels of debt, like what we had, what we constructed for ourselves in you know the the earlier part of this century was this. Um, industrial revolution, which put people in a state of employment, which allowed them to have a stable, consistent paycheck, which to allow them to just go and focus on work without having to have those concerns. We've now moved into this shift where consumer debt is rife. Yeah, and, but I mean, and we, that's we, changed because all of a sudden these people aren't just just running their process. Mate, I'll, I'll quote Jocko, mate. It, discipline creates freedom. Now, you know, did the credit card create the consumer debt? No. Humans created the, 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 the debt. It's how we use everything in this world, mate. It's not the things themselves. Well, neither it's good, actually. Like, you know, the, the notion of being employed is something that I don't enjoy myself. Well, but, but, but it serves some people, right? I mean, some right. people um, are very, very competent followers. And, you might, to, to, to have the businesses we have, we need people like that. And I don't fundamentally have a problem with it. Yeah, I'd love them to take the ownership that I have, but they don't take the risk that I take. Um. But yeah, let's let's not get let's not get confused here. Nothing in this world that's been developed um, and created or innovated is designed to um, to to impact us negatively. We make that choice. Hmm. Um, the second last chapter talks about the gene changes in the brain. Uh, and again, I mean, I'm no I'm no expert in this, but I mean, I, I will I will talk to the statistics that's talked about here. Um, so the, the title's called The Gene, Genes and Changes in the Brain are the Final Cause of Depression, but their influence is limited. And I think that's, that's the interesting piece here. Research shows that the genes account for 37% of cases of depression. To put that into perspective, height is 90% determined by your genes, um, uh, while, while, that you, while that percentage drops to zero when it comes to determining your language. So genetics play a relatively small role when it comes to the causes of, of depression. Pretty, that, that to me is a very interesting scenario because a lot of things I've heard about depression, um, you know, and my grandmother, uh, my grandmother um, has struggled with depression and, and you know, prior to her death uh, did struggle a lot with depression. Um, and I was scared that it was genetic. Um, and I was wondering whether it would show up in my mum or in, in myself or my sisters, or my sister, my brother. It's my a sisters. massive problem in older people. Like it's a huge problem. Yeah. It's not just a... It's it's a problem at many levels, but it's a big problem in in older people. The other the other fascinating thing it actually goes on to say here, which supports all the other sorry yeah work that we've talked about, is that you know where your focus goes, your energy flows right. So it goes here likewise. If you spend more time engaged in thoughts of fear and despair rather than joy and pleasure, the areas associated with positive feelings will weaken, while the ones associated with negative feelings will strengthen. 
Um, so, you know, that kind of your focus becomes your, your reality, um, which is super fascinating. That's touched on here as well. Um, which is a common thread that we've talked about in the past and we'll probably continue to talk about in the future. A couple of the other things, I mean, just to, to wrap it up, a couple of the other things I talk about and something that's really, really interesting to me is social prescribing is a solution that connects people with one another into meaningful work. Um, and again, there's some great examples here talking about uh, Dr. Everington, um, the first through um, something called social prescribing. This is by the time she met Dr. Everington, Lisa had quit her job as a nurse in London in a London hospital. After complaining that her fellow nurses were mistreating the patients in the, in the psychiatric ward, Lisa's co-workers turned on, turned on her, making her job unbearable. Having grown up in a household where she'd been aggressively picked on, she could take uh, she could take being bullied at work. She couldn't take being bullied at work. So one day she just showed up, stopped showing up. Around this time, Lisa started taking Prozac, which made her gain weight. For the next seven years, she proceeded to feel horrible about herself and only left the house to buy junk food. Then one day she, wor- she worked up the courage to follow her doctor's advice and visit East London's clinic run by Dr. Sam Etherington. Instead of prescribing more drugs, Etherington gave Lisa a social prescription, which involved working with a small group of disconnected people to turn an abandoned piece of London wasteland into a healthy garden. Things started out tentatively with people being a little guarded about one another, uh, but they all agreed to take on the challenge and turned uh, and together learned the basics of gardening, how to fix up an abandoned lot. In doing so, they opened up to one another and saw that they had a lot in common. Lisa would never have guessed that she uh, had a similar life to that of an elderly Asian man, yet he too had been bullied, um, been bullied at work. There was great satisfaction from getting the garden to bloom and receiving thanks from the from people in the neighbourhood. Eventually, Lisa came off Prozac, dropped 62 pounds and moved to Wales to open her own gardening centre. But all this would never have happened had she not received the social prescription from Dr. Everington. You know, again, another powerful story. Um, and again, like I've said, this whole book is very, very well researched to, to substantiate um, the cause and effects outside of um, a chem- the chemical treatment of depression. Um, gents, I mean, we're not trying to say that chemical, uh, well, I'm not trying to say that there isn't a place for, for chemicals uh, or chemical uses in, in the treatment of depression. I'm just saying that there's, this book provides a, a lot of evidence for other ways of treating the same issue. And I'm not sure whether one or the other, uh, exclusive to each other, um, are right or wrong. Um, but I'd like people to either pick up the book and have a look at it, jump online and, and listen to the to the um, to the shorts if you don't like reading a book. But if you do, if you are or know someone that's struggling with depression, um, there's a ma- there's a lot of cases in here that they may want to listen to. I think it's, um, I mean, you haven't touched on the last piece, which is probably pretty powerful too, the the other recommendation of sympathetic joy. Well, psychedelics and stuff, yeah, and, go for it. And even psychedelics and the, and the, the meditation, um, you know, which is that, you know, practicing meditation through experiencing the feelings of joy, whether it's about yourself, for yourself or for others, and then um, projecting that outwards. Um, I've been doing the Calm app on and off for a few years. They've got a couple of them, I think, in the gratitude or love piece um, where they take you through a couple of these examples. I think even Deepak and Oprah's relationships one probably goes on a similar um, uh, experience. And it's funny that psychedelic drugs come up. There's a lot of talk about that um, recently. Psilocybin is is one that they talk about a lot in in the the treatment of mental health issues. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, just to echo off what you're saying, Conrad. I mean, oh, it's like I'm sorry. 
I haven't experienced uh, depression, but I know a lot of people do. And some of the stuff in here, I think regardless, you know, there are some great things just to improve life. Yeah, just improve have life. You don't have to have depression to, to do some of this stuff. Happier life and feel more secure and work towards more self-love and self-acceptance. Um, yeah, it's it's quite fascinating. So to, to answer Inner, I don't I don't necessarily think um, that um, people valuing money or material objects um, is necessarily um, in conflict with their joy and happiness, um, but I can see how it can be. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, the challenge with that is, you know, it's the value systems, right? So they're, they're only chasing money, material things because that's what they feel like they should be doing and it's part of the – it's potentially part of the the polarity which is then causing the un, you know, un, or the, the lack of happiness. But um, yeah, yeah, how, do you, how do you deem success? Yeah, it's, it's that, that's exactly right. It's, so then it, the big piece of it comes down to, to the vision, you know, what is your vision? What does your life look like? What do you want it to look like? You know, creating those steps and I think what's the scary thing about this for me is – and having had some experience is there's a lot of work and it's a lot easier to just to start by it's not, it's pretty easy to start taking medication it's a lot of hard work to start to make some serious adjustments like like is recommended in this, this book. Yeah, but this is your structure right and what uh, do we know structure structure, is structure over chaos creates order and i and think this, so the challenge this is, is great patience structure. In, in my and what i wanted to yeah. put out there is the challenge is patience because there's lots of little things like it, it can be a quicker win to start taking medication. And yeah. I'm not saying either is right or wrong. And I'm saying both, you know, both is really where you would want to go if you're in, in, in trouble. Um, in particular, if you are in trouble, then obviously reach out to people and get some immediate um, immediate help. But if, you, if you're just in, a, in a, an okay place, you can start to make little improvements every day. Agreed. Thanks, people. And I Sorry. should add, like, um, you know, based off the first stat, is like definitely reach out. Like, people will, um, anyone, you know, most people will be willing to listen to learn. Like, take the first step if you're feeling anything. Please, please reach out. Um, particularly men who feel like they can do it on on their own. I think it's all too common as blokes that we feel like we can get through it, and you know, I'll oh, just deal with it, but the power of just someone that you feel comfortable with just going, Hey, I need a help. Um, that first, again, coming back to the, the effort, that first step will then cascade into many other steps. And you'll realize that are probably a lot of other people around you have gone through something similar. Uh, and, or if not, they know people to be able to help. So take that first initial step, please. Cool. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, I think uh, we just sign off now. We don't have to say anything. Bye. See ya. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to the Simple Minds podcast. If you like our show and want to know more, then check out our website at simplemindspodcast.com. If you like, you can even leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. The Simple Minds podcast is also on Facebook, Insta, and for those that like to keep things formal, LinkedIn. So follow us there if you want to keep up with the latest updates from the show. See you next week.